This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 111, Triple Ones here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. And speaking of number one on the pamphlet, number one in our hearts, that's Mr. Nick Maxson, who is joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, I am thinking of the most creative ways to intro you each show. Um, I don't know where that one ranks. It's probably not number one, but uh, welcome. Uh, call to- 911 because that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> You're just jealous. I understand that. I get that jealous of you trying to like seduce me over the phone like well i don't have to do that over the phone i know where you live actually i don't know where you live but i you mean pre- I, you just you just pretexted at two in the morning and have alexa tell it for me yeah i mean i know like your general area like i suppose if like i have enough photos of your apartment that i feel like i could probably like coordinate you know anyway that's another oh. discussion if anyone does have nick maxson's address or social security number we'd be happy to know that on the husky's warming house podcast but also if you don't if but, you know liam neeson no but <laughs> speaking of somebody who didn't have an identity they're going to be our extra ice session that's the minnesota wild as their identity mm-hmm. disappeared how about that for a recovery there nick that's our extra ice session in the middle and main portion of the show we're going to talk all things nhl playoffs we're going to recap all the first round series as as they do start what will be when you're first listening to this on Tuesday, but we are recording this on Monday night before round two begins and a little bit of college tidbits to start off the main portion of the show as well. But before that, center ice view news and notes in the Huskies illustrated weekly roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Noah, starting off with some more coaching changes. Some good, some bad, some ugly. Um, how about this? Uh, Vegas head coach Peter DeBoer is out after three seasons behind the bench for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, 43-31-18 and 18 was their, or excuse me, 43-31-8. and eight. 18 would be 92 games, Nick, and that is not possible in the <laughs> NHL season. Um, first time that the Golden Knights have missed the playoffs in franchise history. Um yeah, about that, right? So yeah. um, it's interesting. I feel like Noah that you know, I think certainly what killed his fate um, was the one win out of the last six to secure a playoff spot, especially mm-hmm. when uh, a couple of teams ahead of them, such as Nashville and Dallas, also were not maybe necessarily playing their best hockey. So the door was open for him. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't make it happen. They did deal with a bunch of injuries, but I do feel like there was a change uh, coming uh, for that 
uh, for that squad too. Yeah. So I, um, I I feel like it actually goes back to uh, um and the Steve Dangle podcast did a job of covering this. Peter DeBoer really kind of threw Robin Lehner under the bus, and this yeah. Vegas franchise is having a really difficult time either catering to star players or guys that are the most essential to a hockey team. And that's a goaltender. And for whatever reason, the Mark Andre Fleury situation, Robin Lehner, um, Peter DeBoer, um, and the rest of the Golden Knights for that matter, have not handled those situations eloquently, especially in front of the media. Um, and just, there was lack of motivation throughout this group, unfortunately with him at the helm. And uh, this one uh, is out of, out of the, the two big coaching changes between this one and the one we're going to talk about next, uh, this one was probably the least surprising to me because I, I feel like it was time. Right. Uh, my Uber driver from Vegas, uh, who wore a Knights jersey on my way back to Minneapolis, uh, would be thrilled at this news. He was the uh, one of a, a season ticket holder that was calling for DeBoer's uh, removal and uh, got his wish. So, But uh, let's head from the desert southwest to the uh, northeast corridor, shall we say. And how about this? Um, the New York Islanders um, have elevated associate head coach Lane Lambert uh, to be their new head coach, uh, succeeding Barry Trotz, of course. Uh, so uh, at the end of the day, he was Trotz's right-hand man, both in New York, Washington, and Nashville. So um, I think the big question here, Noah, is if you have an, a, basically an assistant coach on a staff that's been with your head coach for so long, what's going to be different. Right. And I'm not saying that not, I'm not trying to compartmentalize both these coaches, but I do think that there is a question to be had about what lane is going to bring differently um, to the squad versus what Barry Trotz had done, which mm-hmm. was before a, a very kind of goofy season. Again, the finishing of the arena, they had what, uh, how many road games start the season? It was quite a bit. Um, never really were able to recover. Um, you just kind of wonder, um, you know, what this change will actually make on the ice product uh, versus over Barry Trotz. Yeah. I, I, if on, if anything, you know, maybe it just comes down to personality. Maybe it's just, you know, how does Barry Trotz in the locker room? How is Lane Lambert in the locker room? I mean, Barry Trotz, uh, I don't know that he strikes me. He's, he doesn't strike me as a pure players coach, but he's not like totally in the realm of like Mike, Yo systems or die. Mike Babcock maybe. Yeah. Yo, you know, kind of in between. Uh, maybe Lane Lambert it was much closer in terms of really relating to the players and maybe it just was the right fit. And uh, from what it sounds like uh, with Lane, it sounds like his time was kind of due to become a head coach in the National Hockey League. So they're going to give it a shot. The Islanders and Lou Lamorello is going to do what Lou Lamorello wants to do. And actually so he's true. He's entering, uh, I think, Lamorello is last one last, last year, year of his, contract, last year of his yes. general manager contract as well, too. So we'll have to see if the move pays off. Uh, question marks out on the island there uh, for the New York Islanders squad that uh, very well could make the playoffs next year if they can find some offense and punch again. Sure. Uh, speaking of coaches that are recycled but somehow still you know get things done, how about Bruce <laughs> Boudreaux uh, with the Vancouver Canucks? So almost single-handedly, uh, willed Vancouver to a playoff push. And uh, I think up until like the last 10 days, they were in it. Uh, yeah. Noah, they were very much into it. They definitely were, um, you know, kind of revitalized under Bruce Boudreaux. He's going back to Vancouver. Um, the Canucks were 32, 15, and 10 down the stretch. Um, holy cow, huh? Right. So yeah. that's, that's insane. So I, I, I kind of think that Vancouver under his leadership Now we've known with Bruce Boudreaux, um, I think, except for his time in Washington, that, um, there is a, certainly a window for Bruce Boudreaux and his coaching. Um, and with Vancouver, they have enough of a young core. They've got some experience there. Uh, they're missing some few pieces, uh, but with Jim Benning gone, they may actually be able to make some off ice <laughs> off season improvements, but uh, yeah. watch out. Vancouver could be sort of a, a dark horse coming 
back to the NHL next season, especially they build off some of the momentum they had from this last season. Let's go a little bit uh, back to North. We keep kind of bumping around the coasts here, right? So how about this? Montreal uh, of a season that's uh, really no good news. Uh, They get some kind of good news. Uh, First Mm -hmm. overall selection, they did win the draft lottery here. And how about this? The draft is in Montreal? Yeah. How about that, right? So uh, a guy that's been on the radar probably for the last couple of seasons, Shane Wright, um, is uh, slated to be the first overall pick. Um, New Jersey and Arizona round of the top three. Seattle slipped to four again. Uh, you can only slip three spots. Um, again, you know, as far as, you know, the draft lottery is concerned, um, Golden Gophers uh, may have a top five pick in Logan Cooley. Um, he could go as high as three as some of the uh, some of the mock drafts have slated. But also uh, yeah. James Snuggerud um, was, I believe, a top 10 or no top 12, 15 uh, North American skater. He could also be a late first round or early second round uh, type selection also. So we'll have to wait and see, um, obviously, how uh, those yeah. drafts play out. But Minnesota going to get some high level offense to replace someone that they lost uh, yeah. either to uh, NHL or to uh, the transfer portal. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, speaking of the teams as well, I think New Jersey, this is their fourth pick in the top three in the last five years. So New Jersey yeah. kind of stockpiling the young bodies. Uh, hopefully we can finally see it pay off another season that just did not pan out out east. Mm-hmm. And it's been real tough for, for Jersey fans, right? So um, how about this? Uh, to kind of hone things in right from your first NHL game or experience to the draft, how about uh, one that had a very illustrious career? How about Patrick Marlowe um, officially retired um, from the NHL uh, as the all-time games played leader? Uh, didn't play this season. Uh, he dressed for 23 years, 1,779 games played after going to second overall to San Jose in 1997. That goes back to my years as a youngster. Holy cow. I, I, was, I wasn't even one yet. Uh, I'll refrain. So uh, <laughs> Marlo is the Sharks all-time leader in goals, points, even strength, goals, power play goals, shorthanded goals, and the game winners and also shots on goal. So um, he was all right. It worked. <laughs> uh, biggest thing with Patrick Marlowe, though, even at his old age, that guy could skate. Yes, he could. That yeah, was I, one of his I, biggest attributes was his skating. I think you have to be, too. I think you look at some of the older players that played for a long time. You look at your Yarmer Yagers, your Chris Chelioses, uh, you know, the Hulls, Zidane Chara, who maybe relies a little bit more on his size, uh, but also had to be a smooth skater. You have to have longevity. You have to stay away from the injury bug. You have to be in good shape. But above all, not only to make it to the National Hockey League in general, but really stay there, there, uh, is is your skating and keeping up as your body starts to kind of shut down on you. You're not going to be the same player at 40 that you were at 20. That's just how things work. Um, You know, so we're still talking about Marlowe, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and, and the thing is, too, it, it, this is kind of an interesting thought. I mean, Patrick Marlowe, a very classy guy and an incredible career for yes, him. Played 20 much. of his 20, really 20 and a half of his 23 seasons. He played a little bit in Toronto and a little bit in Pittsburgh as well. But, uh, you know, for for young NHLers that enter the league, everyone always thinks, is it the hockey IQ? Is it the hands? Is it, you know, the shot that separates all these players? And some players have that, you know, the Austin Matthews where they have a great release or they have that aspect. Really what it is, is if you're a good skater, you definitely create opportunities more than anything else. That would be the piece that I would think you would want to develop the most as a player. Look look at Kel McCarr. I mean, incredible hands, but a lot of what he does as a dangerous two-way defenseman is his skating. 
Yeah, and the thing that's difficult about that, because a lot of young hockey players that make the NHL, they're out playing pond hockey, they're out doing skills, they're out doing all those things. They do all those things that hockey players like, but no one likes to do power skating. It's difficult, especially no. as a kid. It sucks, but it's so essential if you're a young hockey player. And, of course, I think all of us looking back wish we maybe, just, maybe would have spent a little more time or maybe had a power skating coach to be able to do some of those things because right. uh, that is a big difference maker. And Patrick Marlowe, congrats to him. A long career would not be shocked if he's in a front office position at any point Not at all but also wouldn't be shocked if he just kind of takes some time off and chills on a beach for a little bit so um wishing the best of luck to uh the former san jose shark in terms of current players and awards some finalists were announced for their trio of uh award recipient potential uh let's start with goaltenders igor shesturkin of the rangers jacob markstrom of the flames and uc saros of the predators are up for the vesna as the top goaltender in the national hockey league uh nick a uh, quick hit out of the three of them who do you think gets gets the award Soros. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I know Shesterkin had a great year, but in terms of the team that's in front of him, Timmy Soros deserves it. I think he, mm -hmm. I think I, I, his, his, his numbers aren't maybe the greatest, but if you look at the team that's in front of him, uh, that was a tougher bet for him. So he won't win it because of that. But to me, the yeah. more deserving player is UC Soros. Jeez, I thought he was the throwaway name out of the three of them, but uh, I, yeah, I guess Igor Shosturkin is kind of in the middle too. The Rangers had a good season, but he kind of held them in it in the first half as they continue to find their footing. I think Jacob Markstrom has just been too good. I know he's played for Calgary. I know he's boosted by that offense, but um, he has just been as consistent of a goaltender as I have seen. I really like his chances in that one. Uh, over to the player side, Trevor Zegras, Moritz Sider, Michael Bunting, Anaheim, Detroit, Toronto, vying for the Calder as the top rookie in the National Hockey League. Nick, a lot of people were talking about how Lucas Raymond was not in this one. Pretty hard, I think, to pick two mm, players, yeah. two players from the same team. The thing is, when you look at he the should be in the conversation, though, for sure. He definitely should. I think Trevor Zegris, uh, to be honest, kid's got flash. Um, I don't think he's going to win it. I think it, it's it, it's between Mo Sider and Michael Bunting. There's been discussion about Michael Bunting's age. Personally, I think Mort Sider gets this one because of his production as a defenseman. I mean, he's been comparable to these other two guys, and he's been on the back end on a really crappy Detroit team. So I think Sider does get it as well. Um, and take away the points, if you watch some of the defensive plays that he's made, uh, incredibly good defensive IQ, uh, really good body positioning, uses his stick well, uh, funnels pucks into the right areas, is able to you know seal off good lanes. Uh, this kid is the real deal he is dare i say a poor man's nick lidstrom almost um yeah. for detroit fans um he's a stud and was was he good this nick lidstrom he was okay guy? yeah he was okay worked out for him worked you out. know you know speaking of guys that uh you know are a little bit older the conversation about michael bunting's age the other piece of this too and i know it kind of goes specifically to the on ice production but his story has been crazy his rise through even to get a chance in the national hockey league and then he started the season on the fourth line he was kind of the extra yeah. forward for toronto and essentially took i believe it was nick ritchie's spot and yes. pretty much ran with it in the top six and what a what a career he has had so far in toronto so um this will be a good one whoever wins this one even Trevor Zegers with the plays that he makes. I don't care what John Tortorella says. Um, honestly, uh, all three of these guys very deserving of the accolade of being a finalist and would be very deserving of these awards. I, I, I definitely think um, this one interesting here. Carey Price, Montreal, Zidane Chara uh, out east and Kevin Hayes of the Philadelphia Flyers. Who the heck does Chara play for again? I can't even remember. He's been uh, he plays for the Islanders, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> he has. He bounced around so much. Uh, he's 45 now, I think. Uh, 
He's, we're in, he's an animal. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. uh, all three announced for the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy for the player who, quote, best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey, end quote. It's voted on by the members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. So let's tell you a little bit about these three guys before we get Nick Maxson's way in here. Starting with Carey Price in Montreal, missing the majority of the season with knee ailments, but really the story was not his injury setback so much as the fact that the 34-year-old did enter the player assistance program in October and detailed personal struggles with mental health and substance abuse in a very dark place for the past couple of seasons. So um, wishing Carey the best of luck as he did get a couple of games at the end of the season. Uh, Zidane Chara, wherever he's been playing, uh, became just the eighth player in league history to complete his 24th season. The veteran also made history by passing uh, American Chris Chelios for most games played by a D-man, and he now sits at 1,680 games at the end of this season. Meanwhile, Kevin Hayes lost his brother Jimmy Hayes, who of course played in the National Hockey League, uh, to substance abuse and also dealt with a litany of injuries this year, including a blood infection, and underwent a series of surgeries uh, on a Philadelphia team that was very poor as well. So, mm-hmm. Nick, this is one that, uh, again, all three of them very deserving of this award. Kind of some tough things to, to have them up for the award this year. Is there one that sticks out to you? Ugh. You know, no, actually. This is the hardest one. I you think. know, and... I saw a suggestion on on uh, from I forget who uh, it was a pretty predominant hockey writer and I actually kind of agree with this guy's take. Um, why should it be that one player wins the Masterson? Yeah. Why isn't it that one player from each team gets gets a little sort of recognition? Um, yeah. Or because or, or just go into like if there's three players that are deserving that year, you take three. If there's one that year, you take one. Right. Just league wide, you know. Hard to say. Um, yeah. there, there's no question with Carey Price and the and the pressure to play. And and again, we, you talk about the substance abuse issues. Um, you know, it, it, this goes back to Derek Bugard a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's it hits close to me because I have the opportunity to speak to Derek Bugard. Um, not about that in particular, but knowing who he was off the ice as far as it, you know, the, the type of person that he was and the type of human being that the hockey world lost, it, it just, it, it aches my heart um, to know that this still exists and for some very talented and you can almost put Carey Price at, at a time, a generational talent and goal, right. Um, to, to, to know that these issues are still um, effectively, from my opinion, not really being supported enough by not only the league, but also the players association. Yeah. Um and is it still a problem of hockey culture? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that he at least took advantage of the program that's there and got the help that he deserved. Um, obviously, Kevin Hayes' situation with his brother Jimmy, that's, I mean, yeah. what words do you have for that? I I, I don't know. Um, and then, of course, uh, Zidane Ochara being, you know, the astute leader that he has been all of his career. Um, I don't know, maybe goes to Carey Price, although I could see them going to Kevin Hayes. Yeah. Um, Again, hard to really pick one because each each of these stories are so great, you know, in their own right. And it's really difficult to pinpoint one. All three of them, as you mentioned, are deserving of some recognition in some way. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think that the mental health side can really kind of start with Robin Lehner a couple of years ago and we're really yeah. kind of slowly getting there. But you think about Carey Price, right? You know, Carey Price was uh, he's viewed as a god in Montreal and essentially mm-hmm. this unstoppable force, the man of steel in the nets. And uh, the reality is he's another human being as mm-hmm. good as he is at hockey. And, you know, you hope that he's able to work through that. I kind of agree with you. I think maybe Kevin Hayes is my pick. I think just losing your brother like that and then knowing that you've had those injuries, uh, you know, a blood infection as well, too, just kind of a 
scary thing reminds me a little bit of uh, um, Oscar Lindblom a couple of years ago as well, yep. too, for Philadelphia as well, too. Correct. So um, when he had Ewing sarcoma. So a lot of things that uh, um, it's an award that whoever gets it is very deserving, but it's a difficult thing, I think, to talk about as well. Someone that we um, can't get enough of talking about, apparently. Uh, we're going to talk about the injury bug here. Jack Eichel apparently played for six oh, weeks yeah. uh, with a broken thumb. Yikes. Um, yeah, so um, people were kind of downplaying this one. Uh, and he, he actually produced quite a bit in Vegas. Like, dude, he broke his thumb. Like, tell me that's not comfortable. Like, like... <laughs> I'll tell you this. I didn't break a thumb, but um, I actually tore the ligament that's in between here playing softball. That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I will say it took darn near a full year to heal. And even just yeah. to not even put sort of any pressure, but even just to like put your hand in a gripping posture yeah. was incredibly painful for about six months. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine with a broken thumb, which a lot of your grip strength is on your thumb and you're trying to play Not hockey get slashed. Yeah. Right. Trying to play hockey. Even just, I can you imagine every time you took a shot or stick handled, yeah. there probably was some pain with everything you did with that hand. And you can't downplay that. I, I know yeah. it, it doesn't sound like, Oh, it's a thumb, right? It's an important part of everything you that's, do with your hockey stick that's so. a, that's like when we talk about like other athletes and they get turf toe and we're like oh turf toe but then you realize you know if your feet hurt you can't play a sport that you run like right. it's just not exactly it's not a so, thing so it's it's not to be downplayed that's yeah. yikes holy cow so speaking of yikes uh, quite a few injuries around the national hockey League. we're going to talk about the injuries to some washington capitals players in the main portion of the show recapping their end of season series against the panthers uh otherwise around the league tampa's braden point dealing with a leg issue and john Ooh. cooper said to Today that they don't think he's going to be available for probably no. the first four games and maybe not even until the very end of the series. So that could be a huge loss for Tampa huge Bay. Uh, Calgary's Chris Tana, Florida's Mason Marchment, and Matt Grizzlick of Boston are all with dealing with undisclosed injuries and timetables. And lastly, Minnesota, uh, Nick Delorier was also injured and is now dealing with an undisclosed injury in the offseason after the game six loss to St. Louis. Welcome in to episode number 111 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. We are happy to have you here for all things NHL hockey and NHL playoffs for the most part here. We're going to deep dive, I think, next week into what the Minnesota Wild are going to be doing with their offseason plan. So stay tuned for episode 112. But until that, we are going to talk NHL playoffs and then the Minnesota Wild's first round exit in the extra ice session. But before we get to that, a very little tidbit here, Nick. Um, first of all, uh, I do want to know how you're doing. And I also want to know any news that you might have regarding the CCHA by chance. So how am I doing? Oh, that was the first question. So, uh, <laughs> uh doing okay. Um, the job search continues, uh, still working through a, a ton of, of applications and, 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 and conversations and interviews. And so it's, it's a process. Um, it, it's it's going slower than I'd, I'd like it to because my my brain says this should already be done by now. But yeah. uh, again, I'm kind of in a unique situation too uh, with uh, especially with I'll just say it with my age. So uh, trying to make sure that the the next move in my career is indeed the right one. Um, so, but that's been taking up a bunch of my time. Yeah. Um, just, on the flip, just just remember, just remember, make sure you're chipping pucks in deep and you're doing the little things. You'll be good. So. Uh, was it pucks deep, uh, men in front, pucks to the net? Okay, cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Short easy. shifts. Yeah, yeah short shifts, uh, pass shoot score. Cohen hates yes. <laughs> so, um, and then as far as the second question, um, yeah, about that. Something called mm, Augustana yeah, as the 19th? About that. Yeah, you know what? It's worst kept secret. Yeah. Honestly, really. let's let's be honest. Uh, the ge- the geographics make sense. The so-called because I, I still believe they're kind of in a St. Cloud situation where I think only the hockey program is going to be D one, if I'm recalling. Yeah. So, um, For, yeah. For those who did yeah. did happen to miss it, Augustana is added as the 19 in the CCHA 2.0. Uh, so and congratulations they don't begin to them. until 23-24 also. Yes. So, so they still have so another year. year. Already yeah. have their head coach in Garrett Rubboyne, uh, which no question he's going to be taking this entire year to do a full recruiting tour. Um, and how about that, Noah? I mean, I, I don't think we give this enough look. I mean, could you imagine me to head coach, being able to go out and recruit and not have to prepare for games to go to practices and at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of like almost the best situation, honestly. Yeah. And you know, former St. Cloud state Husky, how could you not? Yeah. How could you not want that? How could you I not mean, come on? That. So um, congrats obviously to um, uh, Augustana because they somehow beat both Alaska schools, air force, Arizona state, Lindenwood and Alabama Huntsville to find a conference. So um, <laughs> we, we, we talked about this uh, actually again tonight on a different podcast, uh, ice time hockey Southwest. Uh, with Scott Strandy uh, uh, down there. Great conversations about this. And uh, effectively, there's a whole different conversation to be had about those teams. We'll probably save that for a different uh, topic. But um, yeah, no, no surprise here. Um, It makes sense from a lot of different perspectives. The question I pose, though, Noah, and maybe I'll ask you this because this is kind of a teaser. Hmm. How long do they stay in the CCHA? Yeah, that's a question mark. And how long... For even more of a teaser to pick people's brains, how long does the NCHC potentially stay the way that it is? Yeah. Think on that one. Think yes. on that one. And 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 we don't know first, you know, to say yeah. you know, but we there are winds that are being, uh, shall we say, blowing that suggests that, and and I do think it's going to take one, and then they're going to see a whole movement. I do see a conference realignment coming yes. probably. I would say in five years, five to six, yeah. I think you've got to get past the initial five year um, implementation for Augustana and St. Thomas. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you start to see some West coast expansion, that could really change a lot of things. Too, yes. So. And the um, West coast expansion needs to happen. Yes. It needs to happen for the, not only the, ex, the, the total expansion of college hockey, but just for its security too. Agreed. Um, so uh, the best thing for college hockey would be, to get a whatever it is a Pac-10 conference or a uh, a West College Hockey South you know West conference or whatever the heck you want to call it, um, that would be the absolute best thing for for college hockey and also for some of those teams I aforementioned earlier uh, to finally find a sense of security long term um, yeah. would be huge. Um, and hey, expand then you can expand the uh, the NCAA tournament. Yeah. We'll have to see. Obviously, you mentioned one of those aforementioned teams, Alaska Anchorage. I forgot to mention, by the way, a couple weeks ago, Joey Lamaru did end up at Alaska Anchorage. So we wish him the best of luck moving from St. Cloud uh, in his journey. I did want to also mention we talked about uh, the potential assistant coaching position at St. Cloud as well. So uh, one of our fans that did send this to us as well. Also, uh, we kind of mentioned Will Hammer and his uh, work for health administration. He's actually an assistant coach for St. Cloud Cathedral, Nick. Um, oh, and okay. I did not, and I did not know that. So 
um, they said that the person that we had talked to said that they don't think that Will um, maybe really wants to make that move, but he is an option that is close to home. So something to kind of keep an eye on as well as we had talked about Clark Custer for the Norsemen. So it's tough because if you're in, you know, a full-time gig with medical administration. Right. And I think that's what he went, went to school for. Um, that's essentially a career change. So um, I think he's in a bit of a more difficult position. Now, again, I don't know um, Clark Custer's whole, you know, life ordeals. And if he's only coaching or if he has other things that are going on, but there's an open well, vacancy and, well, we've been surprised before, haven't we, Noah? Well, the first problem with Will Hammer is, uh, yeah, I mean, he chose to work in a hospital. What kind of people do that, obviously? Um, speaking of working in hospitals, I will mention this for our listeners on the show. So I am working uh, 12-hour night shifts uh, at the hospital here starting next week in the summer. So uh, if you see showtimes bounce around a little bit, we try to coordinate with the playoffs a little bit as much as we can too, but also my work schedule is going to be starting uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., 12-hour shifts, 80 hours of pay period. So um kind of some juggling with show times as well too so please keep that in mind as we move forward episode 111 uh the nhl playoffs the first round is done second round mm -hmm. starts on tuesday why don't we start with the eastern conference here nick there were a, a lot of things a lot I of things a, a lot of things that we predicted that definitely didn't happen the way that they should have happened or didn't happen at and all one, so. and one that i did i'm very proud about yep thank you toronto yeah, seriously. You think about that one shot away in game six and, and the curse continues. So let's start in the Eastern Conference on the top of the bracket. Florida winning in four games to two over the Washington Capitals. Washington kind of decimated by injuries. Tom Wilson yeah. right now, pretty significant left knee injury as well. Alice Ovechkin needed injections and magic pills to play yeah. through a shoulder ailment, although he doesn't need surgery. Carl Hagelin uh, has had an eye injury since late February has had two eye surgeries and won't get 100% of his vision back. He's actually nice. a question mark for next, next season as well as of his career. So that's super scary. And yeah. TJ Oshie playing just 44 regular season games and played through a broken foot early on um, and had some Good back Lord. problems as well too. So Washington to do what they did really had a chance to almost take this series until yeah. – a late game tire and the Carter Verhage show. And then mm -hmm. uh, that blown three to nothing lead in the other game really could Yikes. have really helped Washington, but Florida, they get the job done. They survived and their offense woke up at the right time. Nick, I, I mean, good for them. It's good to see the president's trophy curse, not continue at least into the first round. Uh, we'll just wait for round number two, but uh, were you yeah. anything that surprised you in this series or was it par for the course for you? I think I was surprised at how vulnerable Florida looked. Especially um, honestly, early. especially yeah. early. Um, I, I think there there's, it's almost like they're feeling some pressure. Um, yeah. I, I, a little bit because on paper, Washington, as you mentioned, shouldn't have been in this series at all. And no um, pressure for them. Right. So, and you know, I, I think if Tom Wilson, if there was any injuries, if you could still have everybody off, Tom Wilson was in that, I don't know if Florida makes it out of the first round. Yeah. Uh, I think he could have been the catalyst to get Washington over the hump. Now, with that being said, um, Florida is going to have quite the tough task ahead of them with Tampa. Um, yeah. Tampa you know, is looking to three-peat already. My goodness. <laughs> you know, you know the thing that was impressive to me about Florida, though, and like like we talked about, it took them a while to warm up, maybe about game four or something like that. Just but, a little, yeah, just a little bit. But the, the series. But the thing is, uh, Carter Verhage had, uh, I think it was 10 or 11 points in that series. And here's the thing. They had something that another team that we'll talk about in the extra ice session didn't have, uh, and that was secondary scoring. Their yes. big their big guns were not heavily relied upon to be producers. They did their job, definitely. I mean, Barkov gets the game winner in game six as well, too. But, you know, those are things that uh, I think really separates Florida is 
they're just not a team that's not talked about a whole lot, but their secondary scoring is as impressive as their superstars on that squad. So a lot of secondary scoring for this group. You mentioned Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. They uh, mm-hmm. they survived a game six overtime. Uh, and they did. They, they won two to one in game seven. Um, this might shock people. Um, they didn't beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Um, <laughs> in the game seven. But it so wasn't the, in overtime. Yeah. So <laughs> the Leafs, uh, pretty miserable. 0-6 in the playoffs since Austin Matthews came in. For those who are playing the home game, uh, since 2004 is the last time they have won a first-round series. So um, nice. what does that mean for the Leafs here uh, before we get to the second-round matchups? Uh, Austin Matthews is a UFA following uh, the 2023-24 season, and a uh, William Nylander, who's 26, is up at that time. But the class after that in 2025 is Mitch Marner and John Tavares, who are 25 and 31, respectively. So kind of a two- to three-year window with those big four left. Um, And Jack Campbell is a pending UFA this season, needing a significant raise. The question that some people have posited, is one of the big four on the way out here, Nick? Does Toronto blow it up? And does Kyle Dubas Mm. stay general manager? That is a great question because – the Leafs actually looked pretty good. I agree. In, in, I mean, they did. You uh, you uh, run out into of, out of all their first round exits they've had in the Austin Matthews. This era, one was, this was the, the best team. This is the yeah. best team we have seen. Yeah. And you're running into back to back Stanley Cup champions who just for whatever reason Tampa just knows how to find a way when it matters. And you have arguably the best goaltender in hockey right now, especially in the place of Andre Vasilevsky behind you. Um, they go down with Braden Point and. Uh, Nick Paul is your yeah. is your guy. I mean, you talk about yeah. <laughs> secondary scoring. I mean, again, Tampa just seems to find a hero um, at the right times. And for Toronto, I, I just I don't. I mean, the answer keeps getting less and less clear with them yeah. because everything the way they played. I mean, it's a two to one hockey game. That's a great playoff game. You're just not able to get over the hump. And oh, geez, that's I. I don't know. If you, you're not blowing it up. I'll say that much. I know everybody's yeah. going crazy about Austin Matthews. You do wonder whether it's Kyle Dubas or whether you wonder it's a different general manager. I think that would be knee jerk. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think agree. it would be. But I would say that you kind of wonder if you send a message. Yeah. You kind of wonder if, say, I think the most vulnerable right now is probably William Nylander. Yeah. Um, because he is the most movable contract um, just to kind of say uh, we, we need to, we need to really make a change, even though down the stretch, New Zealander was one of their, one of their better forwards. I don't know. Like, you it's, know, it's, you know, the, the thing is the one that the one that's going to come back to bite him, John Tavares on the books for $11 million at 31, mm-hmm. his game is starting to go downhill. Now, granted, he's a pretty good middle six forward still. He still does his job, but he's, monetary wise he's getting paid the same as mitch marner and he's not he's, right. he's, he's not in that same caliber anymore and that leaves them with a very challenging question with jack campbell needing a significant pay raise here this offseason yep. mark andre's flurry mark andre flurry's name has been floated around uh for toronto as well i mean do they try to obviously they're going to try to get jack campbell back do you think they get him back or do they dip into the goalie market that that's a tough question because i, I don't know what more you could ask out of john uh, out of jack campbell um, yeah. If anything, again, the the big story in Toronto has has been for a while is their story. You know, the story on their on their defensive corps. Now they've been improved, and in this season they were better. But I still feel like they're they're still missing a piece or two. Um, yeah. And I don't know. And again, 
the question is for whether it's ownership M- MLSE um, or for Dubas, you know, do they make a change? Do they want to, or as with Kyle Dupas has said, and with Steve Dangle, as you like to comment on him, it's almost like they're just that close. Yeah. And if you make a change, does that take you a step back instead of a step forward? It's not an easy puzzle in Toronto. And you almost yeah. get the sense that, geez, I mean, do you, do you go out at one more time? Do yeah. you really? Um, and if you do, I mean, it's almost at this point, boom or bust, right? I think if you're Toronto, you make a couple of tweaks here and there. I think you got to give it one more go. And then with one year left with some of these guys or two, now you have teams that whether it's an off-season trade or a mid-season trade, you have what could be a trade partner, essentially, and maybe you start to get some help with some salary cap relief from the league post-pandemic. Um, I think you got to wait it out another year. I think you tweak it a little bit, but you got to go one more year. I just think you do. I agree. Every time I feel bad about being a Minnesota Wild fan, then I realize there's Toronto. We, uh, Toronto fans and Minnesota Wild fans should get to a bar together. They have a lot to talk about. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, on the other side, like you mentioned, Tampa Bay, very impressive. You know, it's funny, the Game 7 heroes, you mentioned Nick Paul. You know, Tampa kind of reminds me of, I know they didn't win the Cups in succession like Tampa did, but they kind of remind, remind me of the early days, 2008, 2009, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and of course, Maxime, Wings, Maxime yeah. Talbot and his uh, you know ability there, the Detroit Red Wings, also the last President's Trophy winner uh, to win a Stanley Cup. Cup, and that would be the Florida Panthers this season. They get Tampa in the second round. We'll touch on that in just a little bit, but let's get through the rest of the East here. Carolina 4, Boston 3. This one, I got this one right in Game 7. Carolina did get the job done here. Took a little bit of doing um, this was kind of an up and down series where the scores were either super tight or kind of all over the board here. Mm-hmm. Carolina dealing with some goaltending issues, Boston without their back end, essentially, uh, yeah. in terms of the injuries. This was a very heavy, hard and physical series. Um, did it surprise you that it took uh, that it took Carolina seven games to dispatch the Boston Bruins and they were a little more bit. of a threat? I thought so, too. Yeah, especially with a decimated decor uh, with yeah. Boston. You really thought that maybe Carolina's offense, which had been potent all season, would kind of take hold. And it, it got to get credit to Boston. They were they kind of scrapped their way to a seventh game. And, you know, it, it essentially was a, a two-goal win in game seven. They a gar- uh, Boston did get a garbage goal late, but uh, you got to give Boston credit. They hung in there, um, and that was a hard, heavy, really a great playoff series, especially for the first round. And yeah. um, my goodness, uh, Carolina survived uh, and they get to move on, but great series. Yeah. That, that was kind of my uh, summation of it as well. Not too much to talk about, just a very heavy physical series. And I think quick rest and recuperation. I think anytime you have Rod Brindamore at the helm, I think you definitely have a bench boss that knows how to get the boys motivated and make sure they're oh, doing yeah. the right things uh, in their second round matchup. Pain. Pittsburgh Penguins fan, a three to one lead. History has repeated itself. And once again, it's the New York Rangers. It is the fourth time in Penn's history they have blown a three to one lead and lost a series. New York Rangers, four games winning. Overtime winner Artemi Panarin on the power play in that hockey game. Let's talk about the thing that everyone's been talking about in this series. Uh, that's the helmet thing, uh, the game tying goal. Uh, I forget who the defenseman was that that ended up getting his helmet taken off, but uh, nonetheless, uh, skated skated right to the bench because he essentially mm-hmm. uh, thought that he had to go to the bench when his helmet is removed. You do have to do that, or apparently, as the rule also states, you can put your helmet back on and not buckle the chin strap and continue to resume play. Now, my personal thoughts on this, and then I'm going to get yours quite obviously, is that... <laughs> Picking up your helmet during an NHL game 
and putting it back on. And let's not forget the helmets have the little, the little chin loops that go on there. So you have to put it on to make sure that like the chin loop doesn't get stuck underneath your head so that your helmet fits fine and that your visor isn't fogged up or whatever. I feel like it's kind of a time consuming process to actually pick your helmet up and put it back on properly. I know that might sound weird, but I think that in a <clears> lot, <throat> in a lot of cases, the change is maybe the better option. Now they're in the D zone. They didn't alleviate pressure there. Um, I, I didn't know about the other half of this role, nor did Mike Sullivan or anyone for that matter, apparently. I, I didn't, honestly. Yeah, no um, idea. I just, I would never think of trying to pick up and put my helmet back on during the play. It's just, it's a weird, like, idea to try to do. It's, I'll take it one step further. Because um, I really think the the series changes in game, when game five when Sidney Crosby gets knocked out. Um, for a league that has never once and never will acknowledge that hockey it contributes to CTE, they seem to be putting in rules that, for whatever reason, want to protect the head more than anything, um, such as the helmet rule. It's helmet when you're fighting, you can't take your own helmet off, and somehow for you take your opponents off, whatever the case may be. It is hypocrisy to a T, honestly, yeah. Noah. So it's it's interesting that they have all these rules about playing uh, a game with your helmet on, but still are like, nah, this doesn't this concussion thing is a myth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they sound like, you know, people who think climate change is a, I, is a, is a hoax. Anyway, I, I, so, I don't, I don't think it was a penalty though. The initial play when his helmet got right. Off. No. And yeah. I get that, but it's in it. And again, the, it's just like officiating too, right? It's, you know, the, the refs don't want to be the ones that are influencing the game, but by the rule book now with these little, shall I say sideshow type penalties or whatever the case may be, you're almost forcing the refs to make a call. It's like, okay, it's his helmet. I get it. It's yeah. a, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't want to protect players and their safety in their heads, especially when you got rubber pucks being shot at over 100 miles an hour. Um, that can cause some serious damage. Um, but that can even happen when your helmet's on, right? Yeah. There's You don't and, wear full facial protection. And, and, so there, and there have been people that have essentially said, you know, why don't you just blow the play dead when the helmet comes off? Well, then if you're a D-man, the, because then th this is exactly what happens, the pendulum swings the other direction. There's yep. a D-man who's under duress in his own zone who will just unsnap his helmet and flip it off himself. Correct. You know? like, it's you the know, same thing with the goalies and, you know, shaking with a, either it's a loose strap or yep. they go post to post and they try to go to the post and they kick it off its moorings. They, it's, they, they spend their night the heck out of it. Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know the answer. I think it's just a poor bounce for Pittsburgh. I think that's all you can qualify it. Yeah. I don't know that I'm picking up my helmet. I'm thinking by the time I pick up my helmet during the middle of a play and try to do that, I probably have made dead. it, made it to the bench anyway. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think just unfortunate bounce for Pittsburgh. But to be honest, you had you had three cracks at it to put that series away. Sidney Crosby, with or without the team, you had three chances and you blew them all. I, I mean, yeah. you, you can't look at that in a microcosm and say, yep, this is what defined our series. Maybe it defined game seven. I think Sidney Crosby very eloquently you know, stated that, you know what? It's a very tough rule at the end that unfortunately cost us, which in the end it didn't actually cost them because they didn't know the rule just like the rest of us didn't. But he also said, you know, we played really well, and it shows that in a one-game series, anything can happen. I think he was definitely right. Both teams played well, and the Rangers found a way to to, to find that bounce, unfortunately, for the yeah. Penguins. So I think that's all I would quantify it on that one. Yeah. Uh, Western Conference. Uh, let's start on the top of the bracket. Of course, uh, um, the next series between St. Louis and Minnesota, we're going to talk about that in the extra ice session, so stay tuned for that one. So the top half of the bracket, Colorado 4, Nashville 0. Holy crap, Nashville sucked. And Colorado was really good. <laughs> the only person that didn't suck was Connor Ingram. Holy hell, yeah. he coming out party. And, yeah. and, uh, and and he really wasn't that good, unfortunately, because the team around him was 
very bad. That was and that was it. Like yeah. you know, game I, I forget, I think two. it was game two in Colorado. Two. Um he almost single handedly stole that game for Nashville. Um, and you kind of wonder, um, you know, I, I don't think it would have just extended by one game, honestly, but Nashville was just awful in that series. And yes. I think it, it, what's wrong is I think a lot of people are saying there's Colorado's that good. I'm not taking anything away from the avalanche. They are a very solid hockey team, but Nashville equally was not playing any way. Great hockey. And I, you know, to, to kind of preview a little bit of the series of St. Louis, because a lot of people are looking at it and going, St. Louis doesn't have a chance. I would argue against that. I think St. Louis has as good as a chance as anybody to win that series. And uh, yeah, no, Nashville was just that discombobulated, especially yeah. offensively. They showed no signs of life on offense and poor Connor Ingham. Uh, he showed that he can be a capable backup and, Heck, if Nashville is looking to make a trade, they've got some some draft, you know, some trade capital now in Connor Ingram, who I think showed pretty well he can be a playoff performer when it matters. A uh, great series by him. Yeah, seriously, I I agree. You know, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting too when you look at uh, all of those factors that go in. I mean, yeah, great goals. Anyway, we're gonna talk about that. Obviously, an upcoming series in the first round as well too. But Nashville, it kind of surprised me how overmatched they were. You know, I had this series, you know, I had this series in five games. Maybe they could have pushed it to six if they played, you know, how they did at various points of the regular season. But I mean, without UC Sorrow, certainly hurt. But beyond that, I was surprised at how overmatched the Nashville yeah. Predators were because I thought their regular season wasn't terrible, especially down the stretch. Um, and, and the Colorado Avalanche were kind of limping into the playoffs, so to speak. But uh, yeah, they, mm. sa- they saved all the mojo for the right time, honestly. So, and, uh, you know, it was all about the skating. Uh, Colorado, you know, they skated circles around uh, Nashville. They didn't have an answer for him offensively, defensively. Um, Kale McCarr, what a what a stud he is. Yeah. Continues to show that um, he probably will be the Norse winner this year. Um, that just unbelievable. I mean that that team is it's it's for them a Stanley Cup or bust. Um, if they you know can can at least make it to the finals, I think uh, there's going to be some big changes coming to color regardless, just because of the salary cap situation. And Nathan McKinnon is due a big time pay raise. So, oh boy, but that, that's that's a wagon for sure in Colorado. Yeah, definitely is. Uh, they will get the St. Louis Blues in the second round. On the other side of the bracket, uh, the Edmonton Oilers eking out a seven-game series against the LA oh. Kings. Jonathan Quick looked like he was 22 again. Um, yeah. And I tell you what, the Oilers um, kind of needed this, though. I think they kind of needed a first-round mm-hmm. scare, and they needed to find a way through a series like that to maybe get some confidence back to the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisel area. But, boy, the LA Kings – Playing with house money, unfortunately, Dustin Brown's final game was the other night now as he's going to get set to retire for the Kings. But what a performance from a Drew Doughty-less L.A. Kings to push that yeah. series to where it was. Philip Deneau was fantastic in wow, shutting there. down Connor McDavid in that unit. Um, yeah, hats off to the Kings. Uh, probably uh, one of the most underrated and arguably one of the best series in the first round. This had everything. And you know what? The L.A. Kings had probably one of the most underappreciated seasons in, in recent NHL mm-hmm. history, honestly. Um, nobody was really talking about them. They just kind of went about their business. They they didn't really have any pizzazz or flash because Trevor Zegers was just up the road, taking all that away from them. <laughs> um, you had, you know, again, Drew Doughty go down, and I think a lot of, you know, people in the hockey will kind of wrote off the Kings. It's like, oh, this is going to be the point where maybe the LA Kings sink a little bit because Anaheim, remember, was a playoff team for the first yeah. half of the season before things started to unravel for them. Um, I think there was a lot of hockey writers, in fact, had all three California teams missing the playoffs this year. And uh, LA just kind of did what they did. Um, so, yeah. and then to push 
this series to seven. Um, holy cow, again, you can't say enough about Philip Dino uh, with the way he was going match for match with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel, that line. That was a one hell of a matchup um, on the ice. And it just it stinks to know that the LA Kings, you know, were maybe a bouncer two way. They could have stole that series um, very easily. Um, kind of remind me of hmm, 10 years ago. LA Kings kind of come out of nowhere in their first run of the Stanley Cup. So uh, great series, again, had all the right makings. As you mentioned, Noah, for Edmonton, um, it's going to hopefully push them for a much higher gear because we get to see the Battle of Alberta in a second-round playoff match. For the first time since 1991. And that, that? and this, I mean, there's a couple of second-round series that are going to be great. The Battle of Florida is going to be one of them, and this one, the Battle of Alberta. Holy hell, our hockey fans in for a treat. And how about this, Noah? You talk about the growth of the game. Um, Some of the early ESPN numbers come up, sometimes up over 60-some-odd percent in some of these first-round matchups. How awesome is it going to be for the league when you have two rivalry matchups in a second round playoff series that a lot of people are going to get exposed to? This is great for the game of hockey. Absolutely fantastic. I cannot wait. Yeah, this will be really good. Obviously, we're going to get to that in just a second. Their matchup, of course, is with the Calgary Flames, who had a very crazy dance with the Dallas Stars. I was not expecting Dallas to cling on for dear life the way they did. 15 goals for for the Flames, 14 goals against, 29 goals combined between the two teams in the first round. That is the lowest in the first round, and I was shocked that the Calgary Flames were held as low as they were. It was because of one man. Let's compare that to another series. Uh, The Carolina Hurricanes, for example, their series had 44 total goals. So that shows a huge disparity of 15 goals between those two series is Jake Ottinger. Wow. The Dallas Stars. Lakeville North product. Unbelievable. Um, Former BU goaltender, 64 saves in the last game, finally getting beat by Johnny Gaudreau. Who else in that matchup? Unbelievable as to what that was. Um, a nine five four save percentage. I believe I it's the best this playoff. I thought I saw something. It's one of the I best. I think so. Best and, in, uh, in a long time. And His, John Klingberg, yeah, made it very clear this was one of the best playoff performances he's seen in his career and that that doesn't come because was it he's had Kari Lettinen um Anton Hudobin was it last year the year prior stood in his head for Dallas to get them to the Stanley Cup final um so at the end of it I mean holy cow uh that's 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 quite the sentiment coming from John Klingberg for those who like stats uh, uh goals saved above average and goals saved above expected. For those who are wondering, this if a goaltender is playing well kind of averages around like 3 to 4 you know, more than average, 9.07 goals saved above average and 10.74 saved above expected for Jake Ottinger. Unbelievable. Only 23 years of age. This quote that he had, he said, I've never been more motivated than I am right now. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I get this opportunity again and make sure I'm on the other side of it. Everyone needs to step up in the playoffs. I think you can have a great regular season and then not play well in the playoffs, and it doesn't matter to anyone. Huh? Take note, mm-hmm. Minnesota Wild fans. Right. Um, happy to elevate his game. That's the level of goaltending he expects from himself. He's got a lot of stuff to work on, he says, and feels like he's just scratching the surface of where he wants to be one day. Agreed. Agreed. Very, very, very exciting uh, matchup for, for him. I, I mean, Nick, it's unsurprising, though. The, <laughs> the sole reason that the Calgary Flames won is for those looking on the YouTube page, just because they have a signed photo from Johnny Gaudreau back in his uh, BC days. So that's clearly, obviously, why the Flames and, won. And, 
And the picture, as you can see, is actual size of Johnny Gaudreau, too. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. So I do have this in my office. So, you know, I've always I've always kind of been rooting for the Flames. I do remember in 2004, I was a big Jordan Leopold fan because, of course, I grew up cheering for the Gophers Oof. and, you know, really wanted the Flames to win. And ever since then, I've always kind of felt for uh, the fans up in the sea of red and the Saddle Dome. So hopefully Calgary can figure it out. Let's go backwards from the bottom up, shall we, real quick. Second round matchup. Calgary we'll Flames. Quick, yes. Yeah. Calgary Flames survive. I rank, I rank them one to four based on who's left in each conference. So the number two Calgary Flames get the number four Edmonton Oilers. They don't reshuffle, but I just want people to know for the, um, for who would have home ice advantage. So Calgary will have home ice against the Edmonton Oilers, who are the last seed in the Western Conference. Nick, uh, any predictions on this one? Can Calgary's offense oh, really wake up? Is Edmonton going to be porous on defense? What's the story here? I think, again, the question is for Calgary, who matches up with Connor McDavid? That's the big yeah. thing. Um, I think uh, that's going to be your key for Calgary. I'm not sure if it's necessarily your offense, but who matches up? It's not going to be Johnny Gaudreau. I'll Aww. tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you, you know, that that's going to be – I think you're going to see a lot of – actually, on that same line, I think you're going to see a lot of Elias Lindholm uh, matching up against uh, Connor McDavid. So you'll see probably Johnny Gaudreau or who else, who else? It was that Matthew Kachuk uh, going up against Leon Dreisaitl. So um, I'll tell you one thing. Those buildings, both in Edmonton, yeah. at Rogers, and at, at uh, the, uh, the Saddle Dome – those are going to be some packed houses. This is going to be an entertaining series. It has six or seven games written all over it. Yeah. I still think Calgary has a bit of an edge because of Jacob Markstrom. Um, it's again, it, it's going to be such a tightly contested series. Now if Edmonton, if they can get the Mike Smith um, that carried them through the last half of the regular season, they've got a pretty good chance. And if Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl can pull off their magic and do it for consistently through the playoffs, they can easily take down Calgary. But my goodness, when you have a rivalry match, an inter-province match, there's an X factor here. So this is going to be a fun series to follow. It's so hard to really pinpoint an advantage for either team. Uh, Noah, where do you got this one? I think Calgary takes it in six. And I think you mentioned it right on the head. Jacob Marstrom, I think, could be the difference in this. The only question is, if Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl wake up, for whatever reason, the Calgary Flames, and it could be different against a different opponent that's not so defensively minded, if the Calgary Flames don't find offense uh, and better production just up and down the lineup as a team, uh, they might be in a little bit of trouble because Edmonton was able to go run and gun against the LA Kings a little bit and have kind of been more accustomed to some higher scoring games. I think... Uh, the highest scoring game in that Calgary series was that four to two finish in game six. So yeah. um, most of them were one, nothing two one three two. like, well, here's the X factor too. They've got the best bench boss for a situation like this. It's Daryl Sutter. Yeah. Um, seriously. Speaking of Daryl Sutter and a very similar LA Kings team that didn't have maybe the greatest of offensive weapons in 2012. Um, They've got some talent there in, in Calgary, but more so uh, Daryl Sutter preaches, again, that defensive structure. So I'm curious to see what kind of game plan he has, again, to shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, and maybe even so secondary guys like Kaylor Yamamoto, just to name a, a guy here. Um, yeah. that, that's, that's, there's, some, there's some things for Calgary there, but again, you got to execute. And um, no matter how much you can plan for Connor McDavid, you still can't stop him. It's how wow. do you limit what he can do. I just want the Flames to keep winning because Daryl Sutter's press conferences are unreal. I would, love, I, would, I would love to just sit down and have a beer with that guy. I feel like he'd be amazing. Um, and then yes. and, the, and the other jobs that he does too, uh, you know, he's, 
away from hockey he he owns a couple of businesses and he's a hard-working dude he's a very yes. very straight up straight shooter for sure so um speaking of teams that shoot very well as the minnesota wild found out number three st louis gets number one colorado uh darcy mm. kemper is slated as uh being good to go for the abs for this series yep. um this is going to be a heavy series a uh, little bit of uh grit the question is does colorado's offense overwhelm st louis are the injuries and shuffling is the seven 11, a bad strategy for St. Louis entering round two, or is it going to work for him? You know, I think again, it, it, this it's the skating of Colorado. It's not necessarily the offense, which granted we know is there, but I think it's, can they match the speed? The one thing that St. Louis did so well with Minnesota is they slowed us down. Um, and they also made a, a three line hockey team that could score an offense down to a one line and a threat yeah. and a half. Right. So, um, that is a recipe for success against Colorado because if you can turn them to a one and a half dimensional hockey team, I think there are some weaknesses you can expose. Here's the X factor though. Kale McCarr. Yeah. Um, he's going to be the X factor. Uh, Darcy Kemper being back in net good for Colorado. Although you saw with Pavel Francois that they have a very capable backup um, in case something else happens to Darcy Kemper. Uh, so you have some insurance there. Um, I just think again, the, the speed of Colorado is going to be mm. so tough to contain. Uh, but if there's one team that has shown in the past that they can shut down a fast team, it's the St. Louis blues. Uh, so there's a chance, although I still think Colorado takes it in six games. Uh, but I would not surprise me with, a recent cup win under their belt um, and a what looks to be a resurgent Jordan Bennington um, who you know took I think looked okay against those last two against Minnesota there's some, there's a chance I don't think it's as clear cut as some people are talking about Colorado in five um, oh. and the reason I say this is because Minnesota did not do a good job of exploiting St. Louis's weaknesses but when they did they were evident now granted mm -hmm. St. Louis had a decimated decor Especially yep. with the speed, if St. Louis only chooses to run three lines and change, that's another question mark to as far as the forward health going through game after game after game in this series. But St. Louis, when they were poor defensively, they were really poor. Some of the mm -hmm. games they lost and some of I'm still not sold on Jordan Bennington. I'm still not sold on Ville Husso because I don't think we saw a Minnesota team in game five and six that really were able to challenge a whole lot for Jordan Bennington. No, I think Colorado has enough firepower to be a much deadlier team. And the way they transition with speed, I think is really going to expose St. Louis and um, some of their defensive deficiencies. I think Colorado does make this a quick series. Now, if Ooh. it, if it goes to seven games, I wouldn't be shocked, obviously. Um, but I think Colorado is, uh, I think they're the much better team on paper in this one. Actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. So nonetheless, they are. I just, you kind of wonder if, you know, and again, with the way that St. Louis plays, right. Does Colorado almost, and it wouldn't be that St. Louis beats Colorado. It's almost like Colorado beats themselves. Yeah. As long as Nazem Kadri, you know, doesn't, you know, take, take a suspension. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Nazem Kadri's old home, the Eastern Conference, uh, starting from the bottom up, the number two Carolina Hurricanes get the number three New York Rangers. That's uh, not going to be a hell of a series. It's going to be a really good series. The top two teams and their respective uh, division entering the playoff season. Boy, I don't know who you pick on this one. This one's mm. probably about his neck and neck. The question mark for Carolina, I think, is going to be goaltending. Goal the New York Rangers have the upper hand on this one. Um, Jeez, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rangers take this one in seven, Nick. I got to be honest with you. Uh, the one thing that I want to say Carolina. <laughs> I want to. But but you just can't, right? Like it's, I, I, what scare, what scares comeback? me about Carolina is the fact that 
they needed seven games to beat a decimated Boston blue line. The other thing is that the Rangers are lucky to be here because they needed to win the last three to beat Pittsburgh. But the thing is, is, the thing is with the Rangers, the comeback kids are in full force here. Their ability to come back in hockey games, they've shown they've never been able they've been out of games and they've had scoring up and down the lineup. Now I'd say Carolina definitely has too, but God, these are like, Two literally identical teams they in a are. lot of senses, minus the goaltending piece, because we don't know the goaltending situation for Carolina on no. any given period. I don't think even they do, um, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Um, I want to be raising canes, but I've got to be blue shirts. <laughs> oh. yeah, I said it anyway. Um, that's going to be that's going to be a tight yes. series. Um, and again, that could go either way. I still had that six and seven games written all over it. Um, Shesterkin is probably going to be the X factor in that series. Um, again, he's a Vezina candidate. So um, again, with Carolina, if you can maybe somehow find a lightning in a bottle uh, uh, in, in your goaltender, you, you, you have a chance uh, to try to keep it as even as possible. But the other thing is Carolina too. Um, they've got some guys, you know, who can score Max Domi had a hell of a game seven. He kind of woke yeah. up a little bit. Um, but of course, on the other side, you have the bread man, you have Mickey Sabanajad, who's been really Adam rock Fox. solid. Adam Fox is an absolute stud. Um, so my goodness, this is going to be an intriguing match and it's going to, hate. And, it's going to be fun to watch. And two of the best head coaches, uh, in Rod yes. Brandamore and Gerard Gallant on either side, respectively. I wonder if so. Vegas regrets that move. Does Vegas regret anything? Probably not. Not um, allowed, at least. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like they're like the person who continues to go to the Kentucky Derby and put down money because they lost last time, so they got to do it again. You but know they doubled I mean? on the horse that lost. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Literally, eighty to one odds. The Kentucky Derby was unreal, by the way. The, yeah, last week it was. Did somebody have like a six-figure payout from that? You know what I was I'm thinking? Sure I was there was trying a couple. To, there were. I was trying to think. I think it was if you if you just bet on on the horse alone, if you put down a grand, you would have made eighty thousand dollars. Okay, I I think right. I saw a report that there was a couple six figure winners, but I I can't remember the exact insanity. article. But yeah, insanity. insanity. Um, speaking of insanity, number four Tampa Bay, who Tampa Bay is the lowest rated team left in the Eastern Conference. Throw that one out there for size. Uh, they get the mm. present. Yes, they are. I looked. It no, up. no, no, no. I'm not saying no, but I'm saying mm, like that's misleading. Well, yeah, that's why I said it because it's yeah. fun. We have a show to do here, Nick. I'm I'm working on it. Uh, The President's (laughs) Trophy winners, the Florida Panthers, who are going to break the curse just for you, Nick. Uh, They get the Tampa Bay Lightning. Does Florida's offense continue to wake up? Is Carter Verhege going to win the Conn Smythe, or does Tampa Bay three-peat here? What's the story, man? I think Tampa's going to take this. Really? Okay. I do. Um, How many games? mm, Six or seven. Uh, You know, I and trust me, I – in our pre-playoff predictions, I, I said Florida the whole way. I haven't had this series. But Florida scared me a bit because they took way too long to wake up. Well, uh, I, against well Washington. I, I scare you a little bit, too, and you're still here. so. Well, that's fair, but we won't need to talk about you know state registrations <laughs> and stuff like that. Anyways, uh, but that, that darn restraining order. Keeps I, know, I know, right? Well, it's a good thing that there's no way in hell being from uh, Botano, North Dakota, now in Minot, that you can violate a 500-yard restraining order, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, just I don't know. Like, I think the Lightning just – the way that they were able to hold on against Toronto. Um, they just, they just find ways to win and Florida's going to have to come ready game one. Um, that's just, that's just it. Um, I still feel like it's going to be close, but just, I don't know. My brain just is thinking now just the way with, with Tampa again, just the way that they just, it's like somebody knew every single playoff here. It becomes a hero, but the one consistent piece they always have is Andre Vasilevsky. 
And, and he's one of the, he's probably one of the best playoff performing goaltenders we've seen in the modern era. Honestly, um, he's nuts. So hard to bet against him. Um, Again, going to be another bloodbath series because these two met only for the first time last season ever in the playoffs. They're going to meet for the second time, the second year in a row in a second round matchup instead of a first round matchup from last year. Um, What's this called? This This is hockey porn. Yeah, (laughs) honestly. Okay. (laughs) Hockey. I mean, seriously, I mean, this this is going to be the series to watch for sure. Well, better than uh, scrambled porn in the 90s, as our friend uh, Moore Clappers would say. Um, The Florida Panthers, I think, win in seven games if they figure out their special teams. 70% on the PK and have yet to score a power play goal. Now, or excuse me, uh, yes. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are 86% on the PK and 15% on the power play. I say that because... The Florida Panthers were able to survive their first round matchup with the Washington Capitals with secondary scoring without any help and actually a lot of detriment to their special teams. Mm-hmm. I think if Florida can figure that out and continue to get the production that they've gotten, I think they take this series. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be a battle. I still think the Florida Panthers, I think this is their year to at least punch their ticket to the conference final for the first time since 1996. Hey. Funny enough, not that we bring up ages much more, but my buddies and I hey, were talking yeah, about yeah. about six and a half months before I was born in 1996 was the last time the Florida Panthers had won around the playoff round in the Stanley cup. Playoffs. Yuri Krupp has entered the chat. Um, Seriously. Yeah, but, and the other thing that Florida has going for it, and, and this is, you know, I, I hate saying this, but Tampa's loss of Braden point. Huge. Uh, that is huge. Uh, huge. He is so huge down the middle for Tampa. Um, they were able to survive game seven without him. Um, very awkward not like really egregious looking play, which makes it even more concerning when it's not really something you can identify from like a slash or I know yeah. some people say with a toe pick, we obviously have no idea, but just an odd looking play. And we, you know, we hope he's all right and can recover fast, but uh, yeah. that's a huge blow to Tampa down the middle. And if Florida can exploit that, could be good news for the Panthers should be a good one. We'll keep you up to date on all things in the second round of the playoffs and beyond that. We'll do it for the main portion of the show here in episode 111. stick around where we're going to talk about the Minnesota wilds first round exit against the St. Louis blues. And maybe even a little fun fact about Ryan Suter. Extra ice session, Huskies Warming House podcast, Nick Maxson, Noah Grant. It's all here. The Minnesota Wild are not here. They're at the golf course because they didn't know how to win hockey games against the St. Louis Blues, losing in six games. You, you kind of wonder if, you know, they have their golf memberships, if they just walk in like in the middle of May and they go, hmm, you're here right on time. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, you know what the thing is, though, I know where they're not going to be. They're not going to be at golfing tournaments. You know why that is? Because you don't want to have to put them in a position to have to win in key events. No, because most golfing tournaments have more than one round and they wouldn't make it past the first. Um, oh, ouch. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boo, did, get, did off, you, get off the you, stage. Did you Google that one? Do you feel good about that? <laughs> It's like a four out of 10. It's okay. Not, it's not my best work, but like, you know, for three and a half, the, three and for, a half stars. Yeah. For those, <laughs> for, those <laughs> for those who don't know, it's just past 11 o'clock at night here on Monday. So it's, it's the late night hour on the Huskies warming house podcast. Yeah. Um, the 11th hour shown on uh, Minnesota season. Uh, yeah. Not, not at all due to uh, the play of Cam Talbot, who I thought was actually, to be honest, mostly fine in game six, but had absolutely no help. I thought he should have played earlier in the season, but nonetheless, the Wild drop game one, four to nothing. They come back, 
look unreal in games two and three. Yep. Um, kind of lay an egg in uh, game four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then game five, arguably probably should have won that hockey game, but key moments for the St. Louis Blues allowed them to hang in there and they win a game. And then game six, what the hell was that? Uh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of things. Nick, uh, how do you want to do this? We haven't talked about this. Do you want to do it game by game? Do you want to break no. it up down overall? Like, let's I mean, just what, do an I overall mean, breakdown. I mean, what? Let's start with what? What surprised? Like, what? What disappointed you the most? And was there a positive that still comes out of this? I guess. Uh, easy. What disappointed me was special teams because that's been a poor earmark all season and then yeah. five on five actually i thought you know with especially was a game two when uh minnesota was really taking it to st louis and st louis at the end of the first was essentially trying to murder everybody on the ice no yeah. buts about it um yeah they essentially said well that's cute nice try um so that to me was a nice positive that five on five i thought that minnesota was the better team yeah. But again, as we, we talk about it in hockey, and I think more than any other sport, when it comes to playoff time, special teams become so important. Um, and the Minnesota Wild kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit. Um, we're in the penalty box way too much. We can have the argument about inconsistent ref ball and this kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you're going to the box if they raise the hand, right? You can't control yeah. that. Um, and how... I think more importantly, how a hockey team that we thought had the depth, shut up, Anson Carter, I know, um, <laughs> essentially went flatline and the depth was not as contributing down the stretch here in the series as it had yeah. been all regular season. That to me was tough. Yeah, you know, that was probably my disappointing piece. And here's the thing, uh, you know, say what you want about secondary scoring. We had the Kevin Fiala situation, the conversation last show. He ended with three points in the series, half a point per game actually in the series somehow, um, you know, but Math. I, th- I yeah i think the i think the most disappointing thing was knowing that and think back a couple of years ago when we got jake allen in game one and then minnesota mm-hmm. fell off a cliff besides their single win in that series yep and they lost that overtime win to, to seal to seal the deal in that series this series was not the same no. minnesota had moments where they had a lot of pushback and i would argue dare i say i would argue Minnesota controlled over 50% of this series in terms of their play. Even with their poorest special teams, they were the better team for more than 50% of this series if you combine all the play together throughout all the games. The most frustrating piece of that is, unlike St. Louis, they just did not get contributions at the right time. They didn't get Mm -hmm. that bounce. They didn't get whatever it was that they needed. St. Louis did. St. Louis did what good playoff teams do is they bend but don't break and they mm-hmm. survive those moments and then find a way to get a clutch goal in, in a moment where you're like, oh, they're surely down and out. I want to break down one play because I like Brian Boucher as an analyst, but I think one thing he totally got wrong, and I, I get it from a goalie's perspective, right? Um, yeah. It was the Vladimir Tarasenko go-ahead goal in the third period in game number four. Yeah. Um, how we talked about how Flurry could have gotten to that puck and if he played it, uh, maybe he would have afforded that chance. If you freeze frame the puck when it ends up behind the Minnesota goal uh, line, how many wild sweaters are there? Three of them. Yeah. Overcommitted on the puck. And guess who was wide open without a single stick around him? Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't know how in the hell you can blame that on, on Mark Andre Fleury. And to me, playing the puck, um, 
don't know, to me, soft argument in, in my yeah. retrospect, um, whatever. Um, could, was it a communication breakdown? Was Flurry calling um, to maybe play the puck or was the defense expecting him to play it? Um, either way, um, overcommitment cost them there. And then uh, when you get a goal scorer that's been suffocated all series that, and he that, gets that one in. Fourth one was a backbreaker. That one yeah. through a screen, perfectly placed shot. And we know Terry Single even – um, and, and how about a story about just a small tangent here? This was a guy that was rumored to have requested a trade out of St. Louis before this season began and could have actually been claimed by Seattle in the expansion Correct. draft. Yes. And instead is probably the sole reason St. Louis is in the second round right now. Yeah. He kind of started, him, I think the, the, the fall off the mountaintop for Minnesota in game number four, him and David Perron, this David Perron's the new Paul Excuse Stastny me, game just, number five. Yeah. Um, yeah. David Perron's the new Paul Stastny just an absolute wild killer. Yes. Um, yeah. Just, and not, not just because of his hat trick, but just his play all over the ice. And I think even when, when he was with Vegas had always kind of been that guy to the Minnesota wild too, for whatever reason. So um, mm. just really painful. You know, I think the thing that was really disappointing and we'll touch on this obviously in the off season piece, but um, Matt Dumba apparently was playing through a lot of injury from what I was told, like oh, a long, long and a and broken, broken rib for yeah. another thing, either dislocated rib, you know, um, with that being Yikes. said, he was really poor in this series he and was. he was really poor fundamentally in terms of his positioning. Um, and that's the thing that really stunk. Dmitry Kulikov was uh, awful, uh. very bad. I actually thought Al Golgoski did. Okay. The one yep. move, the one move that I didn't understand besides the goaltending position, how do you not play Nick Bukestad? Nick Bukestad. Played, I wondered that too. Played well down the stretch. I thought he definitely at least earned a shot. Um, and the one thing that the only thing I can think of, Noah, is we talked about Nick Bukestad and his size and his reach and his puck control. You wonder if maybe because he's does he's not the most smoothest of skater. You wonder in the eyes of the coaching staff I, or Bill Guerin. Neither was Nick Delorier. No, but you know, I don't know. You, you kind of wonder what the game plan was, essentially, and why a few players were you could say favored over the other. I'm not even sure if I'm phrasing yeah. that right, but um, yeah. Um, and you, I'm not excusing or linking directly a rib injury to, to maybe his position, but maybe it is, maybe it was uncomfortable for him to skate and maybe he was dealing with some incredible pain. And maybe there was some, dare I say some moments where he was trying to maybe save a breath or two um, either way. Didn't look great. Um, and you kind of have to wonder too, you know, and, and we're obviously going to talk about this um, further along. In, and I think next week's episode is does the, some of these playoff performances by some of these key players change, maybe some of what we think we might've saw in the off season for Bill Guerin um, with how things transpired. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it does. I think, and we'll touch on this again. My, my surface level thoughts is that Matt Dumba, looks like he's never going to be the same offensive player that he was ever since that Calgary no. injury, unfortunately. No. And I think that has a lot to do with it. How much do you value Kevin Fiala's regular season is the other half of that as an RFA as well, too. We'll obviously touch on that. Um, is there any, is there any other thing that you really wanted to talk about on this series? I know we yeah, have it as an I extra ice session that, I mean, go for it. Um, I think the talk with Mark Rondé Fleury, um, say what you want about Cam Talbot and Mark. I mean, I think Mark Andre Fleur still played pretty well. I think game one, he was a little, a little goofy. Um, I still yeah. feel like, again, I want, if there is one area of five on five, I still feel like we just, again, at times our defensive structure was 
not great at times. And yeah. um, well, you you talk yeah. about you talk about what do goalies have to do? You t- you tell goalies all the time, make the first save. Right. You, know, you, you make the first save and the defensive core is supposed to kind of bail you out. Certainly Minnesota couldn't buy a bounce. I think in a lot of sense, some of the goals that were scored against them were kind of these fluky little, little chintzy things off bodies or legs or whatever. The only thing is we talked about it before. He's an all or nothing goaltender. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know what? I, I think the wild, if they could get him at league minimum or something close to that would definitely take him. Um, it, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I, I don't think Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, it, it's good to know at least from what Russo is reporting that he. It sounds like there's an interest, a mutual interest in having yeah. him return. And it's um, and it sounds like Cam Talbot was not very slighted about the selection from Dean Evison to to put Mark Andre Fleury in. Now, how much stock do you take into that? I don't know. Um, I, I well, going back to you know again, uh, great reporting by Russo. It's I mean, exact words where Cam was pissed off. Yeah, um, but. Again, when you have, and we talked on this before, uh, before the playoffs, is that I think the Wild had the best one-two goalie tandem, but I think that there is some questions there. That is, we, you know, how much support did we give those two goaltenders? And I think yeah. there is a question around that. Um, I do think that Phil Bulgarian, there is some, there's some pieces of the puzzle that maybe that have been here for some time that may be on the way out. Um, you know, there's obviously now um, some going to be some some tough moments with some of the cap recapture from Parisi and Suter. Um, yeah. That's going to make it a little bit more challenging. Um, so we'll see. Um, yeah. Again, it, it's disappointing either way because this team, it felt different. Mm-hmm. Just like how in Toronto it felt different. And yet yeah. things are still the same. So um, I, I will say this. I trust in Bill Guerin. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to see Jake Middleton back. Same. I will say that. Um, I don't know if Tyson Jost has done enough for me. Um, although I think he is on the hook he, for another year at two he's million. On, he's, under, he's under contract. Yeah. Yep. Now you kind of, but here's the thing. Dmitry Kulikov, I think, is on his way out. Um, he's also under contract for another year, if I yeah. if I recall. So you, again, you and talk this, about and, trades, and this, and this is where, especially with Ale, uh, Kalen Addison, and then the Alex Goligoski signing, you have a lot mm-hmm. of question marks. That's eight defensemen right there. Um, and then you ask about the Kevin Fiala situation and Matt Dumba as well, too. There's a lot of pieces up in the air, I think, when it comes to this, obviously, that we're going to obviously address as well. But, um, you know, all in all, what a difference a week makes, right? A week prior yeah. to to that, the Wild were up, you know, two to one in that series. And we thought that they were looking pretty good and stuff. And then they lose yeah. game four and we're like, OK, then game five, game five they, was a backbreaker. Yeah, game five stunk because the Wild outplayed them. But you thought, all right, if they can just go into St. Louis and just buy one. And they just they couldn't find any magic, unfortunately. And no. uh, um, in, in a situation where the Minnesota Wild, unfortunately, have been in a lot, but have found a lot of success actually in, the, in that spot, at least to try to extend the series and. Couldn't, couldn't buy a game. And all in all, like you mentioned, you know, obviously a lot of bright spots. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, was, he was okay. Um, Eric Sinek had a hell of a series, too. <laughs> Holy cow, was he yeah. good. Um, you know, the, you know. And to be honest, I thought the grief line was pretty good. I know people kind of gave yeah. some flack, but I thought they were pretty good. And I, I think would argue I, they're one of the, the one of the better lines the entire series, honestly. Yeah. And um, I think it's hard to fault the Caprizov, Hartman, Zuccarello line. I think Zuccarello was a tad invisible, but Ryan Hartman produced and found found his man in Caprizov, and Caprizov did what he did. So I mean, well, not only um, that, Noah, but we all know in, in the playoffs, you know, you were trying as the opposition to shut down your your most op, you know, your your biggest offensive threat against you, and that was that line. And so Caprizov found a way to get seven goals in that series so yeah, and an assist uh, yep. yeah so i mean at eight points and uh, in six games i don't know what more you can ask from him the grief line i thought to me was as far as puck possession and forechecking was the best line in the series um yep. the goudreau fiala bully line 
was tough. Um, and, was, and, and the fourth line, just they're, they're not expected to generate. And that's right. But, you know, know and the one thing, again, that we talked about even the regular seasons, that fourth line just didn't seem to have that, you know, that punch. really this, that's that punch or that sustainable forecheck either to try yeah. to at least uh, get your guys some time to rest and to, to really grind down your opposition. They, they didn't perform in that regards and it carried over to the playoffs. So that was disappointing as well. Where's Cody McCormick when you need him? Um, Yes, seriously. <laughs> um, that was that was small, small additional. That was after the 2014 playoffs. I was so pissed off um, that they weren't <laughs> able to keep him around because to me, he was a catalyst and a true role player in the fourth line. It was so sad that he didn't resign with us. Speaking of true role players, let's finish the show with a little bit of fun, shall we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we saw this uh, story. Um, a former Nashville Predators captain, Jason Arnett, was on a podcast recently. Um he hasn't scored any important goals in his career, right? Yeah, um, especially around you know the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, two thousand um, game six Dallas Stanley Cup winning goal. Anyways, yeah, it's fine. Uh, speaking of Dallas, uh, put Ryan Suter on absolute blast. Blast. Yeah. So they oh, were teammates. Boy. So they were teammates from two thousand six to two thousand ten. So four years. Um, and then uh, um, Jason Arnett was no longer the captain after he um I believe um either was traded or retired but then ryan Suter was the captain before he was moved um mm. then he talked about uh um he talked about uh, the comparison of ryan Suter to shea weber as day and night um and said that Suter would say quote all he would do is complain about how come he's not on the power play how come he doesn't play enough i can't believe this guy's making this much money or more than me he said weber was night and day just wanted to learn super respectful work hard those sort of things um and then Arnett went on to say in Minnesota, I heard that Suter was a huge distraction in that wild dressing room, knowing general manager, Bill Guerin, he's not putting up with that in his cleaning house. Now look at Minnesota phenomenal team without the money and distraction. And um, so then um, kind of interesting to, wow. to kind of cap this off too. Suter um, also apparently wasn't the only one that had an issue, actually a young Alexander Radulov, who they're now teammates yes. on the stars together. I guess Barry Trotz was, you know, giving a coaching session or whatever, or talking at center ice and uh, Radulov will be shooting pucks down towards the other end during Barry Trotz talking. Um, and Jason Arnett was like, if you do that again, I'm going to rip your head off, dude. Like you got to have some more respect, but a big this, reason why Radulov went back to Russia. This is interesting to me. And I know we've talked, this is a topic that's years, years ago or years in the making, but we talked about the culture issue in Minnesota and there was always kind of the, ah, is it really, is there that much as people say they are? Mm-hmm. Jesus shed some new light on some of these things, Nick. I will tell you this. We didn't even need Jason Arna to tell us that. <laughs> no, seriously. But um, I want him to. <laughs> right. Um, because here's the deal with all, what we saw on the on ice product was one thing, mm-hmm. but also how many more times have we saw video from inside the wild rock room this yeah. season that we had in the previous years. Seriously. It is monumental more video. Monumental. Um, That's a new monumental. Yeah. <laughs> monumental. It is. It's late. So yeah, um, it's definitely a past uh, curfew for. Yeah. Go ahead and fill in the blank. For cap hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that to me was a telltale off. Now, Jason Arnett's comments, how much can we very, you know, validate those, mm. I do think there's probably something there, but let's just, let's just imagine those are true, right? 
Could you imagine if Dallas had pulled off a game seven? Could you imagine like your ex revenge text after that game seven win going, yeah. Hey, guess what? Guess who's in the second round and you're not. Could you imagine that? Um, oh boy. Um, you, and you, know, what, you, know, say, you know, what's interesting. Ryan Suter is still, he's still on the second power play unit there. And I've never, I never liked him when he was on the power play unit in his latter years in Minnesota. I thought he was kind of a liability, good first pass defenseman, but just, you know, he always does that thing where he comes up through the neutral zone and then just drops the puck to the guy behind him installs the rush essentially and it's just he was he was he's never a guy that like yes he's a good first pass defenseman yes he's he's a safe and sound defenseman he's kind of Jonas Brodeen with a little more punch so to speak but I, I mean here's Kirill, the other Kirill, thing Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov has more offensive punch in one fingernail than Ryan Suter does like he just he does not think the game offensively so I think that you know hearing stuff like that like why aren't I playing this many nights why aren't I on the power play? Yes, he's a workhorse and that sort of thing. But at the same time, he's not a guy that look at his counterparts, Miro Heiskin and John Klingberg in Dallas, guys that, you know, they're running gun guys too, but offensively they're studs. In fact, I wanted to look um, well, seven games played three points in a dash one in the playoffs had 34 points. Um, excuse me. Sorry. 32 points this season. and was plus one. So, I mean, well, and look at this when he was in Nashville, part of, his offensive accolade probably was a little bit overshadowed because he was paired with Shea Weber. Right. But the other part of it is too, you know, here's the big difference. Miro Haskinen and John Klingberg are shooting threats. When he was with Minnesota on the power play, he never really was a solid shooting threat. We talked about his, this. His best shooting percentage came in his last year in Minnesota. He had a 7.2% shooting percentage, but was dash six that year. Every other year has been four, five, two, yeah. Uh, screw the analytics. I'll take. His, I'll give you the eyeball test. Yeah, his the career eyeball. is his career over. How many games has he played? A lot. Uh, a thousand two hundred eighty is four point six. That's his career shooting percentage. At the end of it, to me, you know, and again, that percentage is not. If you look at it just from that prism, it's saying okay, this and that. It's not bad, but it's the fact that he, you know, teams aren't really respecting him as a shooting threat yeah. and what, it, you know, so on the power play, he would be what at the top of the umbrella, but all teams had to do was sit back. Cause they were like, okay, you might throw me a really half rear end wrist shot that might get through, but it's really yeah. not something I want. I need to go up like a Haskin in or a Klingberg that can bring some heat um, with their wrist shot or their slapper. Um, Ryan Suter was never a one-time threat. So you never really had to pressure him. You never really did. So yeah. to me, I you don't know. Again, how, how, how much stock do you take into Jason Arnett's comments? I think that's the bigger you, question. You know, I, I think the thing that it kind of comes down to, and like I said, we've all kind of heard the rumblings and that sort of thing. I think it's just disappointing. I think it's disappointing to know that. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't know what Zach Parisi was like, obviously, you know, in that locker room as well, too. But you mentioned kind of the change of the culture and the new wave and that sort of thing. I saw somebody's talking about how they want to bring uh, the, the, the song, the crowd chant by Joe Santrini or whatever his name is, the old That's Minnesota right. Wild Goal song um, back. And the reason I mentioned that is because now with the new song, it feels like the new wave, the new blood has come in. We've kind of revitalized the Minnesota wild. I had a friend that went to the, um, the regular season finale against Colorado and said, you know what? Like, it's fun to go to the wild game. There were so many people packed that were there so many hours early. The people wearing Caprizo jerseys, they're excited to be wild fans again. Yes. And I think that that's huge. And it's disappointing to know, you know, for example, let's say Nick Delorier is an absolute shithead, for example. Um, and I know he's nice. He, he, he's a great guy. But but let's say Nick Delorier is. Nick Delorier is an somewhat 
replaceable piece on this team. I mean, he can call him a glue guy, but he's not a captain. He's not a guy who signed long-term. It's disappointing to know that there was potentially guys in Minnesota that were in those roles that kind of were in that quote unquote position of power, so to speak. And not only felt entitled to it, but felt slighted if things were going to change. That's disappointing right. to, to in terms of change. And yeah. I think when you look at someone like your Yule Eriksson X, your Kirill Kaprizovs, they're willing to do what's best for the team. And I think the Minnesota Wild are heading in an exciting direction, regardless of the result in the playoffs. Um, I'm disappointed still to hear it because we live with Ryan Suter for so long. Now, how much stock do you put into it? Could he have been a great guy in the locker room? Who freaking knows? Really? I mean, none of us are in that locker room, but we will never yeah. know. Um, it, it does. It, it does beg to the conspiracy theorists, right? That if this is what they call evidence, which I don't think it is, um, yeah. but it does. If you look at it from a non-confirmed, I'm putting the stars together saying it, it does start to paint a picture that in their eyes would make it more clear that there yeah. was maybe some problems in the locker room. And maybe it does point the finger at a couple of individuals. Does that prove it? No, not in the slightest. Um, but if you want to look at maybe some players this year who had better seasons, um, was there something right there? Right. And again, for a defenseman who still contributed and got to a playoff position in Ryan Suter, um, does that spell something? Yeah. I don't know. Again, we'll, and, that, and like you said, we'll never know. And at the end of the day, all I care about is for a one season removed from the Parisi Suter era, um, they uh, are still the most dangerous hockey club this has seen since their inception. And I think they have the right general manager. I think they have the right coach. And there's going to be most likely some changes. And I'm excited, not disappointed, Noah, but I'm excited to see what moves that Bill Guerin makes to continue to grow this hockey club to be a better contender and to finally get past that first round hump. So I do think that they're still trending up and not trending down. Yeah, a lot of evidence there. We'll hear from Johnny Depp's uh, doorman next. Um, Hearsay. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously. Fantastic, um, though. But, Fantastic thing, but things that are not hearsay, we haven't really discussed, actually, uh, when the – in fact, I haven't even looked at the, the – I think Stanley tomorrow game. is the start of some Game 2s, yes, if I so recall. Yep. I feel like we'll probably have a Sunday release as normal. I think we'll probably record Saturday night, I think. Uh, it's, we'll, we'll have to retouch my schedule. Okay. gets a little crazy. We'll put okay. it that way. Well, the nice thing is, I mean, we might, we could also do it Friday too. We'll figure it out. We'll let you we'll know on the Huskies out. Warming House podcast. Find us at Warming House. Dan, I, uh, I would say, um, if anything, Tuesday morning at the latest, probably I would think so. We'll see. We'll see. We'll um, talk. Yeah. Nonetheless, <laughs> um, you've listened to us talk for long enough here on episode one, 111 for Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you very soon in the den. One timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.